Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. podcast i'm your host mike broadbent joining me once again is my co-host richie schneiderite we have another win to talk about Rutgers is a bit of a road warrior right now they've won their second road game in a row this time going down to college park winning a thriller some might say uh 56 to 53 over the terps Rutgers was a seven and a half point dog in this one they found a way to win i actually had some money on Rutgers money line so i'm pretty happy about this game um Team showed a ton of grit. Uh, this was a very low-scoring game. I think after 12 minutes in the first half, it was 15-8. to eight. Um, This was kind of expected. Rutgers is in the 300s in terms of uh, offensive ranking on or adjusted offense on Ken Palm. They're third. They were third on uh, adjusted defense. Uh, Maryland was top 10 in adjusted defense and somewhere near 200 in adjusted offense. So the game certainly lived up to its billing of a defensive rock fight. Um, just talk about what you saw in this game that was kind of encouraging uh, for Rutgers basketball. Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't even want to say anything about the first half because that was just, um, I don't know. I don't know what that was. That was uh, arguably the worst offensive performance between two basketball teams in the country this season for the first 20 minutes of play. Um, but the defense was good, so we could say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the defense yeah, it was, was 24 good. to 22 at halftime for those who uh, forgot. Yeah, both teams shot under 30% for the first half. There was a combined 2 of 18 from 3 in the first half. That is just disgusting. Luckily, for anyone that did watch, um, the second half was a whole hell of a lot better, at least um, from Rutgers' perspective. Maryland a little bit better. Um, but yeah, no, I think the... I don't know what Pike told his team at halftime, but a hell of a speech had to be, because um, these guys turned it on quite a bit. Uh, Derek Simpson had a much better second half, calmed down a little bit, um, went 0 of 7 in the first half, 2 of 2 in the second half. It's a nightly basis with most of these guys, and I'm not just singling out him because Mag's the same way, Cliff's the same way, uh, Hyatt, Fernandes, they're, they're all kind of the same. Michael Davis, it's, it's the same thing. It's just so much inconsistency that I really don't understand how to predict this team, and I don't think anyone does. You see it with the, you could say it specifically with the odds makers. Like they were going into this one, what, double digit underdogs, 10 points at one point? Uh, before uh, I didn't see 10. I saw seven and a half, but oh, maybe, maybe, I'm, yeah, maybe, maybe I missed a bigger number. Uh, yeah, and bracketologist.com, it's a 10 going into this one, like an hour left. Okay. But yeah, besides the point, <clears throat> seven and a half point underdogs is a pretty big uh, gap. And like I said, this team is just so hard to predict, but they turned it on in the second half offensively, started hitting their shots, took less threes. It's crazy how that works, right? Take less threes and you hit more. <laughs> weird. Mm-hmm. Um, take less 18 footers, you hit more. Wow, weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, they, they, it was an overall group effort. It wasn't just one or two guys. Don't get me wrong. Jeremiah Williams had a great second half. Mag had a great second half. But you also got key contributions from Cliff at times, Jermichael Davis at times, Derek Simpson at times. And then the defense was just, I don't know how to put it other than this is like a hounding defense. This is, You just saw guys all over the place. Mag's running around literally like on top of um, opposing, on, on offensive players. Um Jeremiah Williams is just such a difference maker for this team, and he's brought so much juice, and you finally have that 
alpha type guy. Um, but yeah, this is just a huge, huge win for Rutgers. And it, it also gets you back-to-back away game wins for the first time in God knows how long. I think the stat's out there on Twitter. I actually think Fonseca posted it. But uh, this, it's just, this is a huge win for Rutgers. And you, you get to have Kevin Willard's number once again. And it, I, I don't want to tease this too much, but I feel like this is starting to become a little rivalry here um, between Rutgers and Maryland, whether fans want to admit it or not, on every playing service. Yeah, I mean Rutgers hasn't really been competitive against Maryland on the hard or on uh, the iron, the gridiron for a while, but mm-hmm. uh, they've won five of the last seven games against the Terps in basketball. Um, I think this rival, this uh, series, <clears throat> Rutgers never played Maryland until they joined the Big Ten. Believe it or not, in basketball, um, which is weird given that they're so close, and Rutgers seems to have played everybody in basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Rutgers, they were just a bit out of control in the first half on offense. They had 11 turnovers in the first half. They finished the game with 15, so they only had four in the second half. So they certainly cleaned things up there. I think the thing that really kind of impressed me is Peichel's coaching job through all this because you saw some pretty bad officiating at points. You know, you can look to the the hockey check on Watt Mag and then the next possession on the opposite side of the court. Cliff gets called for this kind of bogus boxing out but uh, on Angel Reese uh, to give him his third foul. You see the double text. Angel Reese? Not Angel Reese, I'm sorry. I forget his name. <laughs> uh, I think it's There's Julian. Julian Reese. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of the LSU player. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, my bad. Um, you see the double text uh, on Reese and Jeremiah Williams. That also gives Jeremiah Williams his third foul in the first half. So your two best players are, you know, limited with foul because they're in foul trouble and this game never really felt out of touch. Like we've gone through this vicious cycle um, over the last month where every single game gets away from us in the first half. And that didn't happen tonight. This was the first game in the last six games where Rutgers didn't have an eight plus point deficit in the first half at some point. So the last time that that didn't happen was January 9th against Indiana. So you're just seeing the same script over and over where Rutgers gets down big early, they try and claw back, they get it down to a small deficit of, you know, between two and four points, but they can never really figure out how to close the game out, except for obviously uh, Michigan and Nebraska. But for the most part, it's just been, you know, getting down big and then trying to claw back. Um, super low scoring game, as, as we just kind of said, uh, mm. 15 to eight in the first half at some point with 12 minutes left. Uh, this is also a game where I thought Rutgers played so well. They had such a great uh, defensive game plan for how to handle Jameer Young, who was really their only true offensive threat. Like coming into this game, he was averaging over 20 points a game. And he still, if you look at just the numbers, he had a decent outcome. But, you know, he scored most of his points from the line. He shot three of 17. And that's in large part because. Derek Simpson and Jamichael Davis totally locked the guy down. He was getting basically no clean looks from the outside. And also, you got to give the, the big guys uh, a lot of you know credit, too. He went one of 13 shooting from two last night. And that's mm-hmm. in large part due to Cliff really making things tough on him when he was actually in the game. I thought we got some good minutes out of Emmanuel Ogbol. Yeah. Um, just in general, like, Rutgers... They know how they have to play to win games, and this is it. You can't fall down big because the offense isn't really there to get you back. You basically have to just like out tough teams, grind them down, 
And mm-hmm. eventually, these teams will break. Michigan broke. Maryland broke. If not for another bogus call, uh, the, the Derek Simpson technical that gave them like six points in 26 game seconds, and we were up nine with like two and a half minutes left, this game probably, you know, gets out of, out of hand at the end like the Michigan game did. But they were able to kind of claw back in because of a questionable technical on Derek Simpson. Um, but again, toughness. They didn't break because of some calls that didn't go their way. They didn't break because, you know, I think Jeremiah Williams, I saw this on, on Twitter, he played 11 minutes of game time with four fouls last night. Yeah. Cliff had to play a lot of the second half with four fouls. Pike mm-hmm. handled the situations really well. He trusted his veterans not to put themselves in a situation to get that fifth foul. You know, Cliff obviously got it at the end on another call that I thought was a little soft, but we found a way to win. And this is so much, this is so important to get this momentum back because, you know, we obviously have some games that still matter this season. Suddenly Rutgers has a pulse again. They were left for dead, but I wouldn't say they're totally left for dead anymore. Um, Bart Torvik has a metric called wins above bubble, which basically says how many wins are you either above being on the bubble or below being on the bubble. Rutgers is currently at minus one and a half. Now, all their other metrics are terrible. I don't expect this to be a tournament team unless you win the Big Ten tournament or win out. Mm -hmm. Um, But this just goes to show we were like one or two games away this season from really, at least at this point in the season, from actually being a bubble team. Now, I put this out on Twitter. How many games do you think we win in addition? Uh, how many additional games do you think we win if we had Jeremiah Williams from game one? Where do you think that's at, if you had to put a number on it? it's It's got to be in the two to three range. I think Princeton, for starters, you win that game. Um, it just It's a totally different team with Jeremiah Williams out there. Um, you can argue some other games, but I'm going to say Princeton and, and uh, Ohio State definitely. Penn State, they just looked kind of lost, but that's not really that good of a Penn State team. They should have been able to pull that one out, especially on a home court advantage, too. Um, so I, I'd say two or three, and I'd probably say those are the three games I'd pick from. Now you can argue other games. You could probably argue Mississippi State. You could probably argue even – it's actually really tough to argue any other. Maybe even Purdue, because like Purdue, yep. it, it was only an eight-point game when it's all said and done. Yeah. That eight points is a little – skewed because of late game free throws and stuff like that but um i i think two to two to three is probably the 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 mark i'd say and those two to three games i think even if you flip flop that penn state game the resume is really not as bad it's just that quad three loss against penn state really hurts and the issue is is that quad three is probably not going to change because i don't think penn state's going to inch up to that top 75 range so i think that's a tournament team probably if uh not tournament team they're a much better resume without that Penn State loss. That's just a little blemish on their on their entire resume right now. And probably keeps them out. Yeah, it's easy to forget that Rutgers was down two points with five minutes left at home against Purdue. Yeah. So you get a little bit more out of out of your starters, which we've seen since mm-hmm. Jeremiah Williams has come back. Uh I do think that game was winnable. So let's just say safe number two. And I, I don't think many yeah. people would push push back against two. So we're currently sitting at twelve and ten. Uh, five and seven in conference. If you win two more games, that's fourteen and eight. Probably six and five in conference, or five and six if you say that we win the Princeton game. That mm-hmm. is squarely on the bubble. Obviously, the Big Ten's down this year, so it's not. It's not like past years where if you're eighth in the Big Ten, you're probably safely on the bubble. You're probably not this year if you're eighth not in anymore. the Big Ten. 
probably top six. Probably top six, but still, that is you could very much convince yourself. You know, if we go on a run, if we go, sit, we finish the season off six and three, we probably make the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, not this year, obviously, because we're twelve and ten. But I just, I do think it. We're a much different team with Jeremiah Williams. We've seen that the last two games, mm-hmm. and I, I'd love to see that continue to get built on because we need Jeremiah Williams to be that alpha that he's shown these first two games. Next season, when we're relying a lot on some young players. And he could kind of guide them, get things set on defense, you know, just be the the voice of the team, uh, because you just can't expect freshmen to come in and be that guy. You're just, mm-hmm. it's just not in the cards for most guys. And even though the Ace and Dylan are different breeds of eighteen year olds, mm-hmm. I still think it'd be tough for them to come in and you know command a team in their first you know few months of of being there, knowing they're probably not going to be there for more than a single season. So yeah. I'm really curious to see how he fits next year. I think he fits like a glove personally. Um, and also Austin Williams is out. So how is he going to kind of fit in the rotation when he comes back? Um, yep. Does he just take Fernandez minutes, Fernandez minutes completely? Does he take some Griffith's minutes? Does he take someone else's minutes? I don't really know. It's going to be interesting because he, he did play a significant role when he was healthy. And I think getting him back is going to help just adding a veteran presence too. Um, Pykel said it before too. It's like when you're such a young team, you need those veteran guys. Like most of these teams that make runs are veteran teams. Like if you notice, like even the lower seeds, like a Princeton last year who made a big run, they're all veterans for the most part. Yep. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see what his role is going forward and how he can help them. Because I think he's a solid defender and he, he's, he's not a bad scorer, but he can get you like six to eight on a, any given night. Um, and honestly, for a team that struggles on offense and is what 300 and just adjusted offense efficiency, it's any, yep. any kind of little contribution helps. Um, I do want to say this a little bit about Jeremiah Williams. If you listen to this pod at all, this entire season <laughs> and people have tweeted, uh, people tweeted at us yesterday. It's, we've been hyping this up forever. He is, we know what we're talking about. Number one, number two. For anyone saying he wasn't going to play this season, you, you were just, number one, flat out wrong. Number two, like watching him as a player in practice, he's just, you could tell he's different. He's just a really good player on every facet of the game. And he's by far the best guard. We've said it before. We've said it for months. It's finally coming to fruition. It's nice to see finally happen. Just need to, need to put that out there. Yeah, it, it is great to see, you know, what you've seen in practice and you've heard from different people close to the program. Uh, come to fruition because this guy has been a revelation for this team. Um, and I do think having him allows Pike to really tighten up those those rotations, especially down the stretch. Uh, yesterday, he had to get really creative for most of the game because, like we said, two of the guys were in foul trouble most of the game. Yeah, I thought one interesting thing Pike did, he's played a little small ball yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think it might be the first time all season oh, we didn't God. have one of Ogbol, Wolf, or Cliff on the court at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think his thought process there was they're trying to just foul Reese anytime he had the ball because he's a terrible free throw shooter. He was three for nine yesterday from from the line, yeah. and one of those was a reshot too. When mm-hmm. which you you almost never see which this a lean violation on a free call. throw. Like, I can't believe they called it because if you just watch it, like it is a widely accepted thing that you just kind of like as soon as the guy gets to the line and looks like he's about to shoot it, you just kind of start boxing out. Nobody ever mm-hmm. seems to call it. But for some reason, they decided to. I don't think it was a particularly egregious uh, example mm-hmm. of a lane violation either. So he thought that was forever. crap. He, he does he take forever. forever. Yep. It's like Giannis. Um, like you got to count down to like 
10, 11, mm-hmm. 12. It's like, just shoot, shoot the free throw. Yep. That's probably why you're missing. <laughs> yep. Um, but he, he only, he played five guys uh, over 20 minutes yesterday. And mm-hmm. uh, the other players who got into the game, Wolf Falk, seven minutes, Manny Bowl, eight minutes, Noah Fernandes, 13 minutes. It would have been interesting to see how that looked uh, had Cliff and Jeremiah not gotten in foul trouble. Probably would have looked a lot like the Michigan game, honestly. Yeah. But, um, um, that's really. All. I, I got one more final thought from uh, this basketball game. Kevin Willard is the biggest, biggest crybaby bitch oh I've ever God. seen in my entire life. He does this every year, and Seton Hall fans are sitting there. If you mm-hmm. would read the Maryland mentions about the final score tweet from yesterday, it's all Seton Hall fans just like, haha, I told you so, haha, I told you yeah. so. Like he does this every year. He complains about something stupid. Complains about travel. Oh, you know, we had to go to uh, East uh, East Lansing the other. Oh no, um. Yeah, East Lansing the other day. And then we had to come home at one in the morning. Like, no shit, dude. Every college athlete has to come yep. home at one in the morning. Um, but it really wasn't that bad. And then, you know, we had to go here. We had to go College Park. And it's like Rutgers just played the same exact schedule and still on the road. Yep. What are you talking about? Like, that's just such a bullshit excuse. And that was just the – and he does this. And like I said, he does this every year. He did it with Seton Hall multiple seasons in a row. Yep. And they're all laughing at him now. Even the Maryland fans are like, dude. Stop. Like, it's just, yep. it's too much. It's ridiculous. And you're going to blame it on travel of all things. Because get ready, buddy. You're going to Washington next year. And then you're going to fly home. And then you're going to go back out and play USC. And then you're going to fly to Minnesota. And then you're going to go play UCLA or Nebraska. So have yep. fucking fun. And if you're going to do that, you might as well just do that every game and just complain. Oh, you travel to the Big Ten conference. Don't, was, don't be in the Big Ten. Go back to that was so soft by him. Like every, like you said, every single team in this league deals with the same exact travel schedule for the yeah. most part. Like maybe there's a team, like I was looking at something that were like the remaining travel the rest of the season, and Purdue had like half of the miles that Rutgers had to travel for the rest of the season. But mm-hmm. that's in a lot of ways like because they're in Indiana and Rutgers is in New Jersey, where every single game you have to travel to is going to be a few hundred miles, unless it's Maryland. Yeah. So it just is what it is. It's. You knew that coming into this job, Kevin Willard, that you'd be traveling a lot because you're the head coach of the Maryland Terrapin basketball team, and you play teams in your conference in multiple time zones and that are as far as a thousand miles away. So I don't want to hear it. That is total bullshit. And yeah, he he's getting roasted, rightfully so, for that soft ass comment by him. Um, Maybe you should have stayed in the Big East, which has all your schools mostly right here. But even they're yep. starting to expand west. They're looking at Gonzaga. Yep. They have Creighton. Well, they're like, in Creighton, yeah. They're in, yeah, they're in like, uh, yeah. Indiana for Butler. Like, Butler, DePaul, Marquette, like Xavier. Yeah. Like you're still like, oh, God, I hate him, man. Like just, he just. Yeah. I, and I, I know us bald people are supposed to stick together, but fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're breaking uh, the code for for good reason here. That's, that's uh, fine. he deserves he just, it. He sucks. Anyway, sorry, I had to go on a little rant there. No, it's all good. Um, I thought you saw again the the stark difference in uh, you know starter contributions versus bench contributions. The bench was four of sixteen shooting. It's just twenty twenty five percent. Starters shot eighteen of forty, which is forty five percent. It's the second game where you've seen a pretty stark contrast. Uh, you got to hope that somebody can be that you know spark plug off, off the bench. Um, Hyatt was that for a little bit yesterday. But uh, I, I think ideally they want Gavin to be that guy. But, you know, Gavin was over four yesterday. I think he was over five the last game. He's He's been in a slump. Got to just hope he shoots out of it, like we've said, basically all season. 
I've, I'm still really high on the guy, but it would be nice to to have a little bit more uh, reliable scoring on the bench. I mean, or even on the starting lineup. But yeah, uh, I would like to see Andre Hyatt do something, man. Like this, this is your yeah. fifth year, your final year. Like you, you were your the, maybe the team's best scorer at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's just been struggling mightily, and I I don't know if it's a bench thing or maybe it's just a confidence thing too because. If you if you saw not maybe not this post game or one before someone said it was either Knight or Pykel someone said uh something about yeah you know Hyatt's going through some stuff and everyone's like what what stuff's he going through and it's like I, mm-hmm. you don't know what these kids go through in a personal like life yeah. it could be anything from a girlfriend breaking up with him to something with his family a family issue I'm not going to dive too deep into it but I, I need him to pick it up a little bit on a basketball court um, especially because I need some kind of contribution off that bench we've seen it so many times under Pykel like. Starters are great, um, but the bench is awful. Remember the it was yep. Notre Dame was the playing game, and then the game before that. This is I'm talking two or three years ago now. And the playing game before that, they had a combined zero points in two games on the bench. Like it was, yep. it's been like this forever. And I I just need someone to step it up, whether it be him, like you said, Griffiths, Fernandes. I kind of starting to cringe when you get on the court, but I just need you to do something. Um, yep. Go to the rim, attack the rim, get fouled. You're your best free throw shooter on the team. Just just keep getting fouled like on drives i don't know um yep. but i need something from that bench um ogbo though so, solid uh solid performance he's getting better yeah ogbo definitely was better uh tonight than he was or last night than he was the previous game um again you just got to hope it's rust but uh he mm-hmm. gave some actual minutes where he contributed both on the glass he had a nice putback um yeah you know can't teach that size he has and clear that yeah. he takes uh, the weight room very seriously he's very developed um <laughs> for a guy coming in as you know what, probably a 20 year old if i guess so yeah um so looking ahead Rutgers plays at home on saturday at 1 p.m or sorry noon uh against wisconsin wisconsin is ranked i think 11th right now they are in the top three in terms of the big 10 standings they're in a bit of a, a slump, though. So they've lost two straight. They lost at Nebraska last Thursday. Then they lost at home versus Purdue on Sunday. They play on the road tonight against Michigan at 7 p.m. Uh, so they're going to be coming in playing three games in their last seven days. Uh, you know, another road tilt, third road game in four matches or four games, I'm sorry. Uh, this is a game I see as winnable for Rutgers. Rutgers has played Wisconsin well. Uh, at least recently, uh, one you know they went to Wisconsin late in the season last year and won. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a winnable game. They're very different style wise from uh, you know teams like uh, you know Maryland and, and Michigan, but that's in part because mm-hmm. they're a better team. Um, they're certainly not going to be an easy game, but a game that I feel way better about Rutgers competing in today than I did last week. Yeah. Um, coming in on a two-game losing streak um, definitely helps Rutgers, or maybe not a two-game losing streak. I forgot they play. Yeah, they played they play Mi- Michigan tonight, which they probably right. win, but yeah. Yeah, so um, two out of three, though. Still losing two out of three is not good. Um, they got a couple scares, too. and I mean, like well, number one, it was a serious scare because they lost to Penn State. Um, mind you, an away game, which this, this is an away game for them, too. Um, they also came very close to losing to a bad Minnesota team. Um, yep. So... There, there's a legitimate shot here. I think if you told me this game was away for Rutgers, I'd probably say, hmm, probably not. But since it's a home game, Jersey Mike's Arena, I, I think they have a legitimate shot here. Um, and you just got to hope Michigan can kind of uh, 
put up a good fight against him and, you know, make him a little tired. Yeah. Uh, every game Rutgers has played against uh, Wisconsin in the last nine, nine matchups has either been an overtime game or a single digit loss or a win for Rutgers. So Rutgers is four and four in their last eight against Wisconsin. And then they had an overtime game that they lost in the big 10 tournament in 2016, 2017. So they played them tough. Uh, you just got to hope this momentum continues on. I will definitely be betting the Rutgers money line whenever that game uh, comes available because, you know, this the rack is going to be absolutely on fire on Saturday. I assume that it's going to yeah. be a visit day for recruits. May hopefully no. it's not. Dead period. It's not going to be dead period. Dead. Perfect. So what that means is that a third of the student the section, whole student section, <laughs> will be filled with students and not just you know bumps on a log who aren't paying attention or uh, the entire football team that leaves you know at halftime and leaves a giant uh, open wound yeah. in the student section. Yeah. Definitely going to be interesting, but full student section, that's all that matters. Yeah, so if you don't have tickets already, uh, you can go to SeatGeek, and if you do not have SeatGeek account yet, you can use the promo code RUTGERSRIVALS, and you'll get $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. So if you need tickets uh, for this game or any game into the future, since the only way to buy any Rutgers tickets outside of through Rutgers directly is through SeatGeek, might as well Mm -hmm. use our promo code and uh, get into this game. It's one of the few mm-hmm. Saturday games we have all season at home. So great opportunity. It's supposed to be a beautiful day. It's supposed to be in the 60s on Saturday. So uh, if you got nothing to do, bring the the friends, action. bring your family, get a little tailgate action in, maybe visit campus, get some lunch. Perfect day to be on campus, uh, hopefully for a Rutgers point. Yeah, no, sounds, uh, sounds good to me. Sounds like a good day. Sounds like a great day. Um, I don't have anything else basketball-wise, but we do have a few other football news items to hit on. Um, we mentioned in the last podcast, obviously, the commitment, uh, but also some coaching rumors. What are you hearing on the Andy Aurich front with regard to the Harvard job? So Andy Aurich is a certified candidate for the Harvard head coaching job. Uh, he's one of four finalists among two in-house candidates, one that's been there, their former defensive coordinator, or current defensive coordinator, who's been there for 15 years, Harvard grad, uh, Harvard football alum, played, uh, I think he's third in all-time in tackles for the Crimson. Um, so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to go that route, but if they're going to go the out-of-house out route, which some have suggested they are um, after 30 straight years of the same coach, uh, Alrich would probably be the main candidate. Now, there's also a South Carolina uh, quality control assistant or some something like that. Um, but I think, from what I've been told, is Alrich is the main outside candidate. So it's basically just determining if you want to stay in-house or go out-of-house. Uh, I think Andy, if I had to guess, is probably going to leave. If he gets the, if he gets the offer, I think he leaves. I think they're probably going to offer him because I, I think they're going to try to switch it up a little bit because minus this past season where I believe they uh, they won a share of the Ivy League, I think Tim Murphy's also had some struggles over the past couple of years, finishing fourth, third, obviously no COVID year, and sixth over the past three seasons before this one. So it would make sense for them to kind of go a different route. But you never know. Um, that being said, I got my hot board ready to go. <laughs> um, any names on that hot board that you want to kind of give us a preview on? 
Yeah, so um, John McNulty. <laughs> no. John McNulty. That I mean, would make uh, a lot of sense. It, it would. I mean, it's not crazy. Alabama ties, now former OC. I just don't know. From what I was told when he kind of left, uh, there was kind of some bad blood between him and a certain athletic director. So take mm-hmm. that one for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, but he was Notre Dame's tight end coach for a couple of years, produced a couple NFL guys there. Um, but the other two I'm keeping a close eye on would be Kirk Shiraka type ties. And that's Clay Patterson, who was 2018 to 2021 Minnesota tight ends coach. Obviously, Kirk was there from 2018 to 2019. And then 2020, I think he left Penn State. And in 2021, he came back to Minnesota. So uh, he's a big reason why Brevin Spanford was as good as he was. One of the best tight ends in the country for Minnesota. Uh, great receiver threat. And then um, he also has some other ties. He uh, was at Colorado for a year, South Florida for last season as tight ends coach, and now is the co-OC slash tight end slash inside receivers. Gave him every title in the book just to get him there. Uh, at Kent State, who just got, he just got hired last week, I think, two weeks ago. So it might be a little weird and bizarre to hire just a random Kent State assistant again. I shouldn't say random because he does have ties to the to Rutgers, but. I just want to keep an eye on. And then uh, the other one that's kind of intriguing to me, and this kind of goes hand in hand with how the offensive staff is built, for the most part, minus maybe Demir Shaw, who's like the young young buck of the staff. Um, but if you want a veteran guy, it'd be Bill Kenny. So Bill Kenny worked with Sharaka for several years at Western Michigan. Um, he was a tight ends coach from 2013 to 2019. Stayed on staff at Western Michigan even after PJ left. So PJ Fleck connection. Kirk Shiraka connection, and uh, also spent 1989 to 2011 with Penn State. In between those years, sometime, I think it was 1990 to 95, Shiano was also at Penn State. So Shiano ties, PJ Fleck ties, Kirk Shiraka ties. They all check a bunch of boxes. Now, that being said, he's also a Northeast native from Massachusetts. He's also produced several uh, tight end guys over the years. Um, during his coaching career, it says all eight All Big Ten honorees, six All Americans, and forty-seven All Big Ten academic honorees. So it's, it kind of checks a lot of boxes. The only issue is he's really kind of a little older, and that's where it goes hand in hand with how the staff's built. With like a Dave Brock, with a Kirk Sharaka, Pat Flaherty. I'm not I'm not picking on them because of their age. I'm just saying more veteran coaches. Maybe get another veteran. If anyone can fix the the tight end room, it'd probably be this guy. He did sit out the 2023 season and didn't coach anywhere. So maybe you just say, hey, you want to make a 400K real quick? Come, uh, come join the staff, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Um, the only reason he left Penn State for Western Michigan, too, was because they had a new coach. Obviously, uh, the whole paternal thing happened, and uh, Bill O'Brien was hired and just didn't retain him. But P.J. Fleck picked him right up. and. Um, Guy, guy knows how to coach football. So between him and uh, Clay Patterson, I'd, I'd be a little shocked if it wasn't those two. Steve Shimko's out there technically now. Because, uh, again, kind of weird how that works. Bill O'Brien is going to probably get the Boston College. And uh, I don't see him retaining Steve Shimko or most of that staff, honestly. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, so Steve Shimko has been at Boston College now for the last uh, four seasons. Uh, he started off as their tight ends coach, got moved up to quarterbacks. Then he was their OC slash quarterbacks coach this past season. Um, but obviously now he's uh, not going to be there much longer because Jeff Halfley left for the Green Bay defensive coordinator job. Um, he, he didn't coach tight ends anywhere else. He primarily actually coached 
quarterbacks, um, both at Garden City Community College. He was an offensive assistant with the Seattle Seahawks and the assistant QB coach there as well. Um, so some really interesting games. Kind of, we're, we've been kind of refining the way that we uh, make these hot boards to you know follow Shiano's tendencies. This would make a lot of sense. Um, his preference now seemingly for actually experienced coaches who have been there, done that uh, over these you know you know hopeful recruiting sharks that didn't end up being recruiting sharks. Um, Anyway, is there anything else uh, football related that you wanted to hit on before you head out of here? Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, spring balls around the corner. Um, recruiting dead period. So there's not really much to talk about. It's signing day, which is weird. Yeah, um, signing day. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm all in favor of just dumping this one, to be honest, or just making this one the official one. Um, I'm tired of two signing days because the second one's just pointless. Yeah, yeah some kids get offers late, but. I think at this point you have to make a decision and kind of just pick one or the other. Um, or I don't even know what you do. I, I'm glad I'm not in charge because I, I would have no idea or clue what to even do and how to fix this whole situation. But uh, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if we're going to record again or not before then. But uh, the Isaiah Pacheco, MVP, you're going to be the first one since Terrell Willis at running back. Just saying, if you want to throw some money on it. I did. So. Terrell Davis, you mean? Terrell Davis, yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah. It's Terrell Willis. Yeah, I meant Terrell yeah. Davis. Yep. Um, yeah, first one since Terrell Davis. I'm calling it now, so mark it down. I'm not always right, but um, I'm right 60% of the time, 100% of the time. So Whatever that means, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you to everyone who is a new reviewer. Uh, we've seen a bunch of those roll through since we started our promotion. We're still planning on giving away the, the Rutgers Gnome. Oh in the next couple weeks if you haven't seen it already if you missed yesterday's show Ooh, there he is. this is the gnome it's a Rutgers gnome uh, if you would like to be entered into the contest you have to either A. submit a podcast review on your favorite podcasting app we'll go and collect mm -hmm. those in a couple weeks or you have to comment on this video below comment with the title or with the comment uh, gnome me so just gnome me uh, a lot of people Pressure said no me easier. in the last episode, but whatever, we'll count that anyway. Um, and you'll be entered in, and we'll do a live drawing. But uh, for me and Richie, this has been another edition of the Report Podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.